Yeah, so just being really intentional in the design, it's really important to like each step consider what is my client thinking? What does my client want from this? Because then you'll end up finding a lot of times uh, if you're doing that, you don't have the headache of your client. You know, my client knows if we manage those expectations and my client knows that this is the process, this is where you go, this is how we interact. I cut way down on the amount of time that my client is trying to, you know, bother me when there's nothing going on. Um, and so it really frees you up to not be stopping and responding to people constantly because they know what to expect. They, you know, they know the process and they're part of it. I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. Today's guest is Brooke Moore, founder of MyVirtual.Lawyer, an online law firm model providing flat fee and subscription-based limited scope services to self-represented litigants, individuals, and small businesses. Brooke is also the co-founder of Shift Her, a unique mastermind model created by women for women to collaboratively level up in business and life. Brooke, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for the invite. So Brooke, to start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and my virtual dot lawyer? Why did you found the company? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I am based out of uh, the Little Rock, Arkansas area, and um, I started my virtual dot lawyer a little over five years ago. Um, previously, I had tried um, to do a few other things in law. I've been practicing for about a decade. Um, I did in-house counsel. I did um, you know, traditional solo, just brick and mortar, throw my sign up, take whatever walks in the door um, and try to do a few different things, but um, really couldn't find anything that fit with my lifestyle um, and it was fulfilling. And so um, after kind of almost deciding that this may not be the career for me, um, I created MyVirtual.Lawyer. I had been volunteering with Arkansas Access to Justice and um, Arkansas specifically is a poor state. And so um, there's definitely a need for flexibility in the way that we provide legal services. And so I started volunteering and learned about specifically limited scope representation unbundled services um, and decided that um, that's what I wanted to offer. And then being that that service is something that um, requires more volume, I wanted to be able to provide it kind of to the masses here in the state. So mm -hmm. I did a little research and, and put some technology together and decided that I would make it a virtual law firm. And so um, it really just came out of a dissatisfaction with my career and really finding out I'm a mom of three. Um, I used to be married to um, an active duty um, military person. So uh, that it's really hard to balance those two demanding careers and children. And so uh, it kind of led me down this path and haven't stopped in. So. Let, let's talk a little bit about the beginning of that path as well. Uh, digging a bit deeper into your story, Brooke, sure. you went through a really tough period a, a number of years ago. Can, can you talk a little bit more about what you experienced and, and what you did to respond to those challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I talk really openly about it often um, because it's so important. I think we, try to put on this facade um, because we think we're supposed to be a certain way as attorneys um, and we don't necessarily talk about the struggles that we have. And obviously as a profession, it's pretty well known that there are a lot of um, very big important things that uh, attorneys uniquely struggle with. But uh, 
again, you know, going back to um, being, you know, with a military spouse at the time and having three small children, not being able to find my way, I ended up just trying to fit into what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and nothing was fulfilling, nothing was satisfying. I got to the point that um, my blood pressure, I was hospitalized three times with stroke level blood pressure. I wow. um, was having anxiety attacks uh, because I had taken on some contract work with the state, uh, representing parents who had their kids taken away. And then I would be freaking out because court would run late and I was like, I can't get to, you know, get to their daycare to pick them up. And then my kids are going to get taken away. I was having super anxiety attacks about it. And, um, you know, just trying to find that balance. I got really depressed, I gained a ton of weight. Um, and it just was all around a terrible, you know, mental place to be in. And so um, I think a lot of women specifically uh, hit that point, although, you know, men do too, but a lot of female attorneys get there and they can't really find that balance. Um, and they can't really find that fulfillment to be able to, you know, live the life they want and also be able to meaningfully be involved in the profession. And so, um, you know, when I decided to start my virtual adult lawyer, it was, you know, twofold. It was one, because it was very fulfilling for me and satisfying to create something in a way that took out some of the things that stressed me out or did not fit with my lifestyle. But it was also a valuable service to clients uh, because I was reaching a whole demographic of people that were underserved. And so, um, you know, it's really good for me and it ended up being good for the client. And fortunately, after I, you know, put it out there and played around with it a little bit, people liked it, responded well, so I was able to keep going. And congratulations on that, that, that pressure you're experiencing is, is a, a confluence of, of pressures that a lot of people end up leaving the profession. I, I think especially women, when you have that, that confluence of home pressures and uh, feeling a need to provide for your, your kids and then stacking up this really high stakes casework that you're doing as well. Uh, it, it can be really, uh, really, really tough to navigate that. And, and I, I find it pretty incredible, by the way, that you said the path out of this is to invent a whole new business mm -hmm. model for how I deliver legal services and, and congratulations on that. Um, and I, I want to explore a little bit more about the, my, virtual dot lawyer business model. Uh, tell us a little bit more. You, you've, you've talked at a very high level. You're, you're looking at mm -hmm. unbundling some services, taking a different approach to service delivery. Can you tell us a little bit more about your business model and how it changes things for, for lawyers and for clients? Right. So the way that we operate, we actually never um, meet our clients face to face. And so everything is um, remote. And most of the time that's going to be a phone call. Sometimes it's a video call um, and that's from intake throughout the process. And then we heavily utilize a client portal to be able to have those interactions with our clients. So when I talk about virtual, you know, people will say I work remotely. We have a remote team um, and some of that can be virtual. But for us, when we say it's a virtual practice, it's the interactions with the client. It's that, you know, client facing side of things. And so, um, you know, from intake to actually interacting with the clients, we make our clients part of the um, process. So they know upfront, we really manage those expectations. They know what's going to happen. They know what, you know, how to communicate with us. And then throughout the process, we're sharing documents, we're collaborating, we're getting information, but we're doing it on our own time. Um, and we're doing it using technology because, you know, there are so many interruptions. We don't answer our own calls from the start. I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to 
have an answering service, take these calls, screen them out, and then get them on my calendar. So our goal is just to get to the calendar. So we actually don't talk to anyone until they get to that point. And then from there, we have our parameters of, um, you know, how we protect our time and we set those boundaries. And I think that's really important because for us, a lot of it um, is very well-being focused as far as the lawyer. And I think that that's one thing that our model does for lawyers um, and for us specifically is that we are able to, you know, live our lives and create, um, really manage our time. I think that's difficult for a lot of people, um, but we're able to set those parameters. Like no one can sign up on our calendar 24 hours out in advance. Well, we can plan and we can um, use our online calendaring to block time off. And so um, just utilizing the tools that we have, we're able to design a practice in a way that it allows us the flexibility and freedom to work where we want to work, um, to work on our own time, and to interact with the clients. Because I get pushback sometimes from other attorneys because their clients want this or they want that. And it's not yeah. really true. That's just what we think as a profession. We're just telling ourselves that. And so um, you know, clients really actually, you know, enjoy the convenience um, of not sitting face to face. You know, we work the same hours they do. So they don't want to have to come down to your office and take off of work. So if you can bring it to them and that's, I mean, that's the big thing we sell is convenience. And so if you could bring it to them and meet them where we say that a lot, meet them where they are, um, then the experience is better for them. And, um, you know, managing those expectations is huge, but, uh, also for the clients, um, there's a lot of predictability the way we operate. We do uh, flat fees. We offer payment plans. Uh, so our clients know up front what they're going to pay and we give them different options to do that. And, uh, one thing that, uh, we've been able to kind of boast is because we operate the way that we do and we allow online payments and um, payment plans and, and let them know up front is that in the over five years start, we started in January of 2015. So in, in that amount of time, we've never had anyone not pay their you know, legal fees in full. We've had nothing outstanding. And wow. so, um, you know, that was a huge pain point for me and a lot of attorneys. Um, with the billable hour and even in a more traditional uh, practice setting. But, um, you know, clients don't necessarily routinely interact with attorneys. And so we teach them how to interact with us. And, um, you know, they do appreciate that. So it's really about that convenience and that communication, uh, which is a benefit for both the attorney and the client. So when, when you talk to clients uh, about the fact that your services are purely virtual, do you get pushback from that? We've, we've talked to some guests on this podcast that talk about the fact that there's still a, um, a desire in clients to have that first face-to-face -face meeting, especially for the first meeting. Maybe it's okay to go virtual beyond that, but almost to establish trust, we're, we're still looking for that, looking at the whites of somebody's eyes, you know, in person, seeing their office uh, and, and, and building that personal connection. How, how have your clients responded to this? purely virtual world? I mean, our clients have given us great feedback. They really liked it. Um, and my response to that, because I get that all the time when I speak is, well, they, you know, want to see that and maybe in some practice areas or maybe with some demo age demographic, that might be true. But yeah. generally speaking, that's not like a broad statement that is accurate. Um, you know, people expect things online. And <laughs> my response is, you can find somebody, meet somebody and marry somebody from meeting them online first off. So if people are right. meeting on dating apps, they can hire their lawyer and build a meaningful relationship there as well. So um, people are like, oh, you're right. You know, people do that. But people, people use, you know, virtual interactions and virtual meetings for all sorts of things. And, you know, now it's almost becoming norm. And so 
I feel like we're just transitioning that way even further. And that's the client side, which sounds like, you know, certainly there's maybe a pre COVID-19, a little bit of friction to getting over that, that, that hump, but, but also a subset, I think you're right. A subset of consumers that that's actually the competitive differentiator. Oh, good. I don't need to come into your office. I don't need to take two hours off of work to commute to and from wherever your office happens to be. We can do this over a video call. Um, And, and COVID-19, I think it's just, made that as as you pointed out maybe just the the norm uh, i think we're seeing more widespread acceptance of, of of video calling and this will be just a table stakes way of doing and delivering legal services going forward i'm curious beyond clients when you tell other lawyers about your business model at myvirtual.lawyer what what kind of responses do you get from from lawyers uh it's usually a couple of different extremes. When I first started doing this, someone asked me if this was my hobby. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> I like to start law firms and provide legal services in my free time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's either kind of, I don't get it. Um, and that's everything from, you know, not necessarily understanding how to frame legal services in a limited way um, and unbundle legal services. Or like you said, some of the pushback on, well, clients want to see me and they want to shake my hand and they need to sit in front of me and I need a fancy office and I need to pay somebody to water my plants, like that kind of thing. Um, you know, so I have that in, and then we have people on the other side that are like, tell me your ways, you know, I want to do what you're doing or, you know, oh, this is brilliant. Um, so, you know, it's really the two extremes. There's usually no one in the middle. It's either they don't get it at all, or they're all about it and they want to learn how to do it too. So. And when you look at your, the, the extreme of lawyers that are on the, I, I love this idea, tell me more, you, you've actually started uh, licensing uh, the, the concept to, to other attorneys. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and, and how you've been able to potentially teach other lawyers about what you're doing? Yeah, so um, in 2018, I was at the Oklahoma Solo and Small Firm Conference and I'd been getting calls up to that point, um, people wanting to, you know, hop on and talk for 30 minutes because they were trying to go virtual. And I mean, it just increasingly became like, I love to share my knowledge and to help people, but at some point you got to monetize that because your time is valuable. So um, I had gone and I couldn't even get out the door. So it was specifically just talking about my firm and how it operates. And they were like, how do we join you? And so originally we thought we're going to have contractors. We're just going to contract out from our law firm and people will just work for us. Um, and that was very difficult for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of different like bona fide office requirements. Jurisdictions are different about how you register and contractors. And there was just a lot of regulation there. So we wanted to like move out of where, you know, we were regulated within, you know, law firm regulations. And so we created this uh, second company and decided, you know, people really like to choose their own software. So we're going to learn about the different software and help them figure out what's best for them. You know, it's not necessarily they have to replicate what we're doing, but they license out, you know, our brand, um, obviously, because we're a national brand. So they get some brand recognition, they get benefits from the things that we do, but also um, they have that autonomy of being, you know, their own independent law firm, which we found was really important to them. And so, um, you know, that's part of it. So we also, um, are able to teach them how to set up their virtual practice, how to like unbundle their services, how to uh, go virtual. And uh, so all of our licensees are actually 
virtual lawyers to some extent, whether that's fully virtual or a hybrid practice. And then mm -hmm. the piece that they represent that they're partner firms with us, that piece is unbundled. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the exact services we offer, just has to be something unbundled. And so, um, cause that's kind of our unique differentiator from other firms. And, um, you know, we kind of have some different offerings So we do the licensing and then we, um, also, you know, do consulting because, not everybody is a good fit for licensing. You know, people right out of law school are so excited and we love talking to them. They have no idea how to run a law firm. And um, right. so, you know, we kind of felt like, oh, that's kind of a, they have, they have different expectations than reality. And so sometimes that's a problem. And then, um, you know, we have other people who maybe just want to be virtual or want to do certain things, but they're not a good fit to license with us. So we started uh, offering some individual consulting and then um, eventually uh, launched a building virtual law firm course. And so we've started running that um, in March and we're, we're on our second group class, whatever you want to call it. Um, just kind of high level teaching folks how to do that. So. And I'm, I'm curious when you look at, at a macro level, the trends that have maybe been accelerated thanks to COVID-19. Uh, how do you think the, the COVID-19 pandemic is gonna permanently change the way that legal services are, are delivered? You, you I, I think, founded MyVirtual.Lawyer maybe with a, a vision of what the future might look like or could look like and went to run after that. And I, I think um, you, you've probably experienced that model being validated in a huge way over the course of the last few months. Can, can you tell us what you've seen and how you think this has maybe inflected the trajectory for, for legal on a more permanent basis? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Immediately when everything happened, I was like, oh, all of a sudden we're legit. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. so, welcome. This, is, this is no longer a bizarre <laughs> no. hobby. This Thank is the, the future. I've, I've developed into a, a real law firm um, <laughs> because that's sometimes something we've gotten. But um, yeah, so whenever everything happened, I mean, obviously uh, on the consumer side, uh, consumers were scared to spend, period. So we were already set up. Um, and did not have to really pivot uh, much at all as far as how we operated. Um, but what we saw was, you know, we sit around as attorneys and, um, you know, legal technicians and, um, you know, legal software providers, we sit around and have these discussions all the time about things that we feel like would bring value to clients and, you know, ways to collaborate and, you know, things we would like to see. And I feel like we just are just talking heads and it really doesn't go anywhere. And so, um, I feel like that it has kind of made us stop talking and start having to react. And so, um, just like courts adopting, you know, zoom meetings, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the norm. I think we'll go back to in-person hearings, but I also think that that's going to be maybe an offering. If you have somebody who's getting a divorce and they're military and they're living somewhere else, you don't necessarily have to not have a hearing because they're right. not there. And so I feel like, um, they've become open to that. I also, um, you know, here in Arkansas specifically, we couldn't have, um, you know, like e-notaries and they just passed that real quick. So now we can have e-notaries. Hopefully that sticks around. And so, right. um, you know, on a court level, there are things like that that have been happening. And I think that once the court starts doing things, we start paying attention. Um, but it seems like, um, on the things that I've read and just come from my experience that, uh, 
it's almost like we're more open to, okay, well, what collaborations can we have? Well, we've got to get these services out and, you know, attorneys aren't necessarily online or providing them in this way in any kind of mass quantity. So, you know, we need to let these legal technicians practice and, you know, we need to let non-attorneys become, you know, partners or owners in law firms or some kind of legal corporation. Um, and so all of those things that a lot of us that are looking to the future and looking to innovate have been just preaching to, you know, an empty audience. <laughs> it's not very right. receptive or to each other. I mean, we validate each other and like high five ourselves, but um, you know, just in general, most people are not really listening. I feel like people are starting to listen and pay attention. Um, we've really seen an influx in people reaching out, like either they have gone virtual during this time and just kind of put things together. And now they're like, no, I need, I want to do this now. This is what I want to do. I love it. Um, this is why it gives me this freedom, but now I've got to, I, I just put this technology together. I need help. Somebody tell me how to do this. I need to be doing it better. Um, so we have those people and then we have people who were just like, oh, I recognize this is where it's going and I want to be at the forefront of it. And so I've really noticed, um, people being a lot more open to the idea of, you know, creating innovative practices, doing things different, making it look different on a partnership level. Um, and just even the courts and we're very conservative here in Arkansas. And so for them to even be like, you can, you know, have an e-notary come and notarize your documents. Right. Uh, it's kind of a big deal. So, um, you know, I feel like some of those things are going to stay and I, I don't, I don't think we can necessarily go backwards and we've already got a lot set in motion. So. It, it's pretty incredible to think, I think, especially with the courts, the amount of change that's happened over the course of, just three months has changed that that would have easily taken, I think, years, uh, if, if not yeah. decades, <laughs> yeah. uh, to have occurred uh, if, if the status quo had, uh, if we didn't have the the crucible that is COVID-19 kind of forcing so much change in a, in a rapid time period. And, you know, maybe for our listeners that are, are listening to your, your story around, you know, developing this idea for, for how legal services might be delivered differently. Can, can you speak a little bit more about how you went about designing your services and, and, and how you built around your prospective client needs and, and brought that offering to market? Sure. So part of it was just, these were my needs and then they ended up working for the client as well. But um, everything that I did, I, try to come from the client's perspective. I mean, I storyboarded, I had client personas, gave them names. I was talking to them like a crazy person, but I, you know, I really wanted to get inside the head of the people that I was talking to because, you know, we're making these assumptions about what clients want. And I'm over here thinking I wouldn't want that as a client. So, right. you know, why are we assuming this? And so, I mean, I asked people and I put it out there and, um, you know, a lot of the feedback that I got was that, you know, it's inconvenient, it's intimidating, it's not affordable, um, there's no transparency, communication sucks. And so, you know, the complaints we all hear all the time. And so um, in each step and each piece of whether it is communicating with them um, in the intake throughout the process, um, being responsive, I wanted to make sure that I was choosing technology and choosing a workflow and processes that met that need, but also um, in designing services. Like, what do I, obviously, what do I need to make? What do I want that to look like? Um, and I mean, to be real honest, being a flat fee attorney, because I'm collecting 100%, I make way more than I did by the bill hour, and I'm doing limited scope services. So I'm not even, you know, doing full representation. Um, but the clients really enjoy that. They like the transparency. They like to know what they're, I want to know what I'm paying for things. They want to know, um, 
I get pushed on that sometimes because we put our prices on the website. Like you can't change them. I'm like, nobody's screenshotting these. You know, I've changed it right. three times. Nobody calls right. me out on it. Um, yeah. so it's fine. But, um, yeah, so just being really intentional in the design, it's really important to like each step, consider what is my client thinking? What does my client want from this? Because then you'll end up finding a lot of times, uh, if you're doing that, you don't have the headache of your client. You know, my client knows if we've managed those expectations and my client knows that this is the process, this is where you go. This is how we interact. I cut way down on the amount of time that my client is trying to, you know, bother me when there's nothing going on. Um, and so it really frees you up to not be stopping and responding to people constantly because they know what to expect. They, you know, they know the process and they're part of it. So even if you're not doing limited, you can make them part of that process. And so I think that, um, that is kind of where we as attorneys, sometimes like we have the expertise, just give it to us and we'll do it all. And you know, right. we got you. Um, but that's, I think where a lot of the communication issues come up and where a lot of the problems arise because the client is not really empowered and they don't know what's happening. And so um, if you design it with the client in mind that way, um, it ends up actually freeing you up as well. It frees you up. And I, I, I think you highlighted this briefly, but you're, you're also putting your client at ease. You know, you're, you're telling them what to expect and you're telling them when you'll communicate with them next. And I, I think there's so much background anxiety that clients go through that many lawyers don't fully appreciate when they're not fully in that process. And you don't maybe have the, the deep empathy for the, the journey they're going through. And it can be some very simple tweaks in terms of how you communicate and and so on that can be a big productivity win for you and, and, and a big boost to the client experience as well. Right. Um, so Brooke, let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk about the work you do with Shift Her. Um, th this is, uh, as we mentioned in our intro, a, a mastermind group. Tell us a little bit more about the mastermind model and, and how does it work? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So um, a few friends and I that are actually non-lawyers because we have a lot of lawyer mastermind groups and I've participated that way. Um, but we had a friend of mine and I had gotten together and uh, she was having a problem in her security business. And I told her, you know, Hey, why don't you outsource here? And here's, you know, the workflow. And so she did it and it was so freeing. And she said, if this attorney can tell me something to do in my business, you know, what do other people have to offer? Um, and we were kind of going through this uh, mindset journey, reading a lot of, um, you know, self-help type books and um, working on that kind of development individually and talking to each other. And we thought, well, you know, let's, if we're doing this, there are other people that need this. And we looked and there was nothing out there. So what we ended up doing was creating a group, just pulling, there were six of us. We just pulled some people together that we knew would be interested from different, you know, backgrounds. Um, and so six women and um, we have created this mastermind model. We did it for about a year and people kept and we didn't even talk about it, but people found out about it and they kept trying to get into our mastermind. And we were like, okay, well, again, I always go to, well, now at this point, how do I monetize this? So uh, we get, we get to that level and we're like, we want to, you know, help these people, but you know, we only have so much time. And so let's replicate this and see if these other people are going to have the same experience. And so we did. And from there, it just ended up, we launched in October and we have 120 members now. Um, wow. And we didn't get to have our last launch because of COVID. And so um, it is a mastermind model that is uh, designed specifically for women. Um, to, and we say to help them level up in business and life. And uh, really by what, what we mean by that is we want them uh, to really shift their mindset, change their minds and be able to um, 
you know, take on a different perspective to be able to do these great things because we saw how impactful having this group and having this collaboration and these accountability partners was for us. And so um, we, we have a life coach um, and she's a, has a master's in applied psychology. And so she creates curriculum for us and um, we've just designed a model for people to follow uh, because we, have noticed that there were other women in our area that had started groups and they were like, couldn't really figure out how to make it work. And so we're like, well, here's the magic sauce. So that's essentially what we sell is um, part of our larger community. We have a, a, our big community where we're supporting folks. And then we also have our individual groups where we are, you know, providing them with content curriculum for them to um, meet each other. And it's actually mostly what we found works well are people who are strangers uh, because you can be more vulnerable. So, and it's a six month program uh, and it's six months because after about six months you get to know each other and then it turns into happy hour, but, um, right. or, or book club, but you know, we were trying to find something <laughs> that was different. Uh, and so uh, that's what it is. It's just a, a place where, you know, you have some accountability that you are all kind of working toward the same goal. And for us, it's specifically a mindset centric um, curriculum and program for women. And is part of the model of replicating this and, and helping it spread, finding the right size of group where you're, you're creating many small groups that there's a level of, of intimacy and, and maybe vulnerability that can exist? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, six is, is really the number that we found was the magic number to make it work. We've had a couple of groups um, because we did do a virtual launch and we got a few groups that were not located immediately where we are and um, they had five. So, and we've had some that wanted to continue on together and, you know, maybe lost one or two people. So, uh, but that, you know, that intimacy is created with that smaller group. And so I feel like maybe people are a little bit more accountable to one another in a smaller group as well. Um, if you have a bigger group, they tend to kind of fall off. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, and maybe to wrap up our conversation, Brooke, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, we spoke at the, the opening of some of the, the challenges you faced as a, a, a woman entering the legal profession and, and the way you've, you've addressed those challenges is through a lot of incredible innovation. And I'm wondering what advice you would offer for women entering the legal profession uh, that might be dealing with challenges that are similar to the ones you experienced a few years ago. Right. I mean, for me, I think it's getting out of your head that there's a way you're supposed to do things um, because that, that held me back and literally pushed me to a breakdown. Um, and, you know, we're standing in our own way most of the time. And so, you know, you don't have to like ask permission even if you're a young attorney, you do not have to ask permission uh, to go and do something different. You don't have to wait on somebody to tell you what to do. If you're not fulfilled, you know, just do it. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, don't sacrifice. Life is way too short to do that. I think changing your mentality and, um, you know, seeking out mentors, seeking out people. Uh, the biggest thing for me has been, you know, I have a wide network of very supportive, powerful, innovative women um, in legal and legal tech. And, you know, we're all out there and everybody's very welcoming. It is, you know, putting yourself out there, getting involved um, and just not being afraid to to do whatever you want to do. I guess. Yeah. And, and by the way, just to reinforce that message, I think there's a huge range of clients out there looking for lawyers that are doing things differently. This, this vast amount of inertia that exists around the way that things have always been done, I think in so many ways holds the, the, the industry back and your, 
your advice, your recommendation, just throw away the, the rule book. There's, there's a whole generation of clients looking to engage with lawyers that are doing things in a different way. And that's more the case today than it's ever been. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I think we stand in our own way, just even generally as a profession, um, because we are scared to like challenge or go. And for us, we're just like, well, we'll, I mean, cause even when we started doing this, it was like, you can practice limited scope. That was the rule. Like there were no rules. There are rules now, but there were no rules for us here. And so, you know, for us, our, our motto is kind of, well, we're going to do it and explain why we did it if we get in trouble. <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, the beg for forgiveness strategy. Absolutely. So far it's um, worked for us. So fingers crossed. Well, keep up the amazing work, Brooke. Uh, really uh, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today and uh, stay healthy out there. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. 